So it's Thursday in Holy Week. Some of you might be asking, what makes this night different from all other nights? Well, before this night, humanity was scattered over the face of the earth. We were divided by language and nation and tribe. We were divided by grievances and hatred, by generational sin. But on this night, with a mighty, a loving hand and an outstretched arm, God gathered us together at one table, and he began to knit the fractures of humankind back together with love. And tonight, Jesus invites you to come to that one table, to come join him in the upper room where he ate a Passover meal with his new family, his disciples. And he invites you here with a purpose, to teach you about the love that binds that family together. In our reading today, he says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The mark of the new family is Jesus' sacrificial love lived out by us toward each other. So Jesus invites you to his table to teach you this love. Let me tell you a story about how your spiritual mothers and fathers uh, in the early church embraced this identity and they embraced this call to sacrificial love. Um, And because they did, they became known to the world for this love. It was uh, roughly 200 years after Jesus shared this Passover meal with his disciples uh, that a plague swept through the Roman Empire. It was the middle of the third century and this plague would would last for 20 years as it moved back and forth around the Mediterranean throughout the Roman Roman Empire. And um, in Alexandria, Egypt, where the plague is thought to have started, um, by some estimates based on historians that were contemporary at the time, they would estimate that Alexandria lost 62% of its population to this plague. It was reported at one point to be killing 5,000 people a day in Rome. And we know that it even killed two Roman emperors. We're not sure what the disease was, um, but just based on the descriptions, there's a good chance that it was some sort of viral hemorrhagic fever, uh, which would put it in the same family of diseases as Ebola. The symptoms were gruesome, and the disease was highly contagious because it seems to have spread with just the slightest contact between people. Now, during this time, Christians were a minority group. The majority of the world where they followed traditional Roman religion. But we know from the writings of these Christians, mostly who were in North Africa, that the way pagan society responded to this plague is that as soon as anybody in your family began to show symptoms, you would throw them out to the street, hoping to avoid contracting the disease yourself. And so people were just left, all these sick people out on the street to die. In fact, a deacon named Pontius, who lived in, in Carthage at the time, described it as, and I quote, not bodies, but carcasses lay about over the whole city. That was the way that the majority of society dealt with the pandemic, um, faced with what seemed like certain death. People chose survival over love. Thank God Christians responded differently. Christians responded like people who'd been gathered to Jesus' table people who belong to Jesus' new family, who loved one another with Jesus' own love, love greater than anything they could provide themselves. 
So at the risk of their own lives, Christians cared for each other. And many, many of them died doing it. They knew they would die when they made the choice, but they did it anyway. And it was a testimony to the whole world. Now this is the family that Jesus called together at the Passover meal. A family that would care for each other in the face of a horrific death. And it's the family that he calls you and I into. In our gospel reading this evening, Jesus teaches this sacrificial love by embodying it for his disciples, by symbolically washing their feet. And then afterwards, he gives them this instruction in verse 14 there. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. The love that's the trademark of our family, here's the place to learn. He says, this is the example. And Jesus invites you to the family table where you can learn the love that holds this family together. That's, that's my family over there. Making that <laughs> but this love, this love is your family secret. This love is your inheritance. So I want us to look really closely at this example. We're going to look at a couple of characteristics of Jesus' love in this passage. We're just going to look at two. And to be honest, there are so many more that could be found in this. But tonight I just want to meditate upon how Jesus' love is a present love. It's a love that is so present to his disciples. And then it's a love that is humble. Look with me at verse 1. We'll start with, how is Jesus' love characterized by his presence? Verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So tonight's story begins with this recap of everything Jesus has done with his disciples by saying, having loved his own who were in the world. See, Jesus came into the world to be with his disciples. He came from the Father because Jesus is God. He's uncreated. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's the eternal son of the Father, and he put on humanity in order to love the world with a present love. He ate and drank with mankind so that he could share in our appetites. He experienced pain, sadness, suffering with mankind to show us that he suffers with us from within our pain, not removed, not from a distance. The skeptics of this world threw down their gauntlet to God, saying, show your face. And God, because he loves even skeptics, came and he showed his face because he wanted to be known by his people. He showed us this kind of love. So he came to the world with a present love. And then it says he loved them to the end. Here, knowing that he's close to the time when he's going to depart from the world, he readies himself for a last labor of sacrificial love. And it's a labor that starts tonight and it continues through the cross and the grave onto Easter. When it says he loved them to the end, he's talking Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter. That's the end. So this is the beginning of the end tonight. In Jesus, God became so present to us that he even entered into death itself. So that now when we die, we don't die in a way that causes us to leave the presence of our Lord. 
what Jesus does for us specifically on Holy Thursday, on Maundy Thursday, is that he, he takes this gift that he's going to perfect, that he's going to bring to fullness on Good Friday. And that's something that his disciples really can't understand at this point on Thursday. He takes this gift of Good Friday and he actually gives it to them on Thursday in a form that they can receive here and now. He gives them a meal, but he gives it to them as his body and blood. And he performs a very simple, straightforward, but lowly task of service for them, washing their feet. And he tells them that it's this kind of servant behavior that's going to forever mark them as a people. Jesus takes the huge salvific realities of Good Friday and Easter, the realities of the sacrifice of his body and blood, the reality that God has turned us into a new family that loves each other, and he makes those realities present to his disciples in these small but profound ways as they gather around his table. God's love is a present love. And it's this kind of love that we're called to learn. Love that is present. Love that makes time. Love that goes beyond social media interactions. And love that is present has boundaries and limitations. The number of Facebook posts that I can like in a day is dozens, probably. The number of guests that Hattie and I can comfortably fit into our Chicago one-bedroom apartment is like probably not many more than 10. Our small group will tell you that. Um, there, were, there, was, there have been incidents. But that's, that's present love. It's the love that Jesus calls us to. Another limitation to present love is this. I actually have to love the messy people that are physically present to me instead of just being able to electronically skip over them to connect with the perfect people that I know on Instagram. You'll find that there are limitations on your time, on your energy, You'll find that loving people presently means you have to really invest. It means maybe cooking a meal. Maybe it means less, less time on computer games. Maybe it means less time spent at your job. Hattie and I have been so blessed by the love and support that we received from this community when our son was born. People brought us meals. People sat down at the table with us and shared meals with us. People loaned us Clothes, a very physical and necessary reality, loaned us clothes for the boy. Maundy Thursday teaches us that the big sacrificial love of Jesus, the love that he showed us on the cross, is the same love that binds us together in these small ways as we love each other presently. And one of the main ways that Jesus' love is still present to us today is in the church, when we are present to one another in love. So God's love is a present love. And Jesus invites you to his table to learn this love. Jesus' love is also a humble love. Let's look at verses 3 through 5. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Look at the way this act of humility begins. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. This is the foundation for all true humility. It's being grounded in the identity that we have 
from our Heavenly Father. There are moments when I have tried to assert some other identity besides the one that I have received from my Heavenly Father, whether that is um, some identity that I feel like I've received from going to school and getting degrees, or maybe it's some identity that I've given myself uh, because I think I'm really good at something, and so I've I think that that means I should be identified as that and affirmed as that. And in those moments where I've tried to live out of those other identities, they're filled with puffing myself up, with grasping for affirmation. And I just wish that I could have those moments back because there are these other moments when my soul is able to rest knowing that all things have been given into Jesus' hands and that I am in Jesus and Jesus is in me and that I am going back to the Father. And in those moments, God is like a fortress for me. I don't need to fight. I don't need to assert myself. True humility comes from that place of strength. It's not our own strength. We are actually very weak, but it's God's strength. If we're going to learn this humble love, our starting point is to know the Father as the source of our identity, our strong rock to keep us safe. Jesus knows his identity in the Father, and that moves him toward humility. Look at verse 4 with me. Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, many of us have actually probably heard how lowly a task this was in first century Judea. His feet were considered so unclean that only the lowliest of servants would have to wash them, would be given such a terrible task as that. And not only that, but look at the emptying of himself that Jesus undertakes. It says here that he rises from supper. And that's significant because a part of the Passover Haggadah is that Jews actually recline at table during the Passover liturgy because they're no longer slaves in Egypt. They don't have to serve at table. They recline. And Jesus, instead of taking what is rightfully his, he stands up. He stands up at the table like a servant. He lays aside his outer garments. He takes off his nice clothes, and now he's half-dressed the way a servant might be. And he begins to wash their feet, to do this task that none of his disciples wanted to do. And it's actually really telling because Peter is willing to say, Lord, don't wash my feet. But you'll notice Peter doesn't say, Lord, here, let me do that. No, none of them thought that this was good enough for them to be doing. So what is that to us? What is foot washing to us? What's the thing that none of us really want to do? What's the thing that's going to require Jesus' humility in order to do it? Maybe it's putting up with that one person that rubs everyone the wrong way. Maybe it's a life of service in small, not very public ways which seem to go unnoticed. Maybe it's just a simple love for your brother and sister. Maybe, maybe that in and of itself is this foot washing. It's just maintaining love throughout the brethren. Humility is love lived in community. 
Paul says that to have the attitude of Christ's love means that in humility, in humility, we count others more significant than ourselves. The love that Jesus teaches us around his table is a humble love. It's a present love. So how do we do this? How do we love like Jesus loved? Where do we find the energy to invest in being present with people? Where do we find the strength that's required to actually be humble enough to love like Jesus did? And the answer is Maundy Thursday. It's what Jesus did on this night. Because what you need in order to show that kind of love is to be loved first by Jesus. We find the strength to love by returning to Jesus' table, by allowing this meal, this fellowship, to transform us, to minister to us the sacrificial love of Jesus. We need to be transformed in order to wash each other's feet, in order to serve each other in humility. And when we receive that love, when it transforms us and turns us outward, amazing things happen. I told you about the North African Christians who lived during that plague in the third century. Well, you might have guessed this, but they didn't just care for their own sick. The love that they shared for each other overflowed, and they began taking in sick off the streets, risking their lives for outcasts, risking their lives for people who had persecuted them, sharing the gospel with people who were on their deathbed. And many of the dying came to faith and believed in Jesus. And a strange thing began to happen. You see, people who were cared for during this illness had a, just a slightly better chance of surviving the illness than people who were just left on the street to die. And then those who survived developed immunity, which meant that they could then care for others, pull those other people off the street, share the gospel with them, care for them in their last hours, or care for them as they were restored to health. And so as this happened, all around them, the Roman Empire was becoming weaker and weaker, but the church was growing becoming stronger, and Christians became a testimony to Jesus' love. They became known as the people who loved each other. And Christianity spread like never before all throughout the Mediterranean world because they were known by this love, just as Jesus said they would be. Emmanuel, let's be that people too. Come, Gather to this table, learn the love of Jesus, and share it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.